0: Here, we're in this series, In God We Trust, and, and before we, we jump into our message today, I want to take a moment and, and just look at where we've been over the last few weeks. So <clears throat> a few weeks ago, we preached on, uh, we taught on, on, on God's faithfulness, God's faithful, faithfulness to his people, God's faithfulness to us uh, here at Village Bible Church. Uh, last week, Jeremy uh, talked about, um, uh, about how we trust. That, that we're not leaning on our own understanding. That that we're when we when we lean on God, it's with with our. The, the thought is that we're leaning with our whole weight. That we're we're laying down on that right. Uh, our, our own understanding, we we're always going to fall. Um, but it, when we trust God, we trust Him fully. We trust Him with everything that we have. Now, as we look at our passage today, and if you want, you can open your Bibles to to First Chronicles 29. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 19. The, the overarching question that, we, that we're asking today is why? So why, why do we trust God? There's a lot of things that we can trust in this world. There's a lot of things going on. Um, but why do we trust God? H- have you ever really sat back and, and thought about that? Uh, really ponder the question, why do I trust God? That's the title of my sermon. It's at the top of your outline. But, but why do I trust God? This is the question I had to wrestle with a few years ago. Why do I trust God? Growing up in, the, in my 20s and even into my 30s, my answer would have been probably similar to a lot of people. Well, my parents went to church. This is why I trust God. Well, this is what we, we, we've just always done this. We just always, I've always gone to church. This is why I trust God. And in some ways, that's a, that's a good answer. Like, it's good to go to church. But that's not why we trust God. I think that, that one of the telling, most telling statistics about the church is that for, for all the high schoolers that that, go to, that that are involved with church, 75% will fall away, will fall away from their faith. After they graduate high school, three quarters—that's a crazy statistic. But if you think about it, if if we as parents really communicate, why do why do I trust God? If we're the ones really communicating that to our students, to our kids, that they will be able to answer that question: Why do I trust God? That far more, far fewer will. Fall away. Uh, we though we, we need some background for this passage, passage today. It, it's a big passage. It it doesn't just start in twenty nine. It starts in twenty eight and, and parts of tw- uh, twenty seven. And there's this idea that there's a bunch of there's giving going on. There, David's at the end of his life. David's uh, David has a desire to build a temple. At one point, he's 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 told he can build a temple then he, he he goes off to war and sheds blood right he he uh, he commits murder the murder of Uriah and um and so now he can't god will not allow him to build the temple because he has blood on his hands so that's going to be given to his son solomon but but here before the end of his life he's he's raising these funds to build this temple uh no matter what it cost money to build God's church. Like this church cost money to build, it costs money to turn the lights on and 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 all of that stuff. Uh, but in 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 what we see in these passages is that that David first gives out of the treasury, the treasury of the people, the taxes that were collected, Dave gave, David gave out of those. But he didn't stop there. David then turned and gave out of his own wealth, his own extravagance and gave Extravagantly out of that, after David had given out of out of his pockets the other the other leaders of the nation were moved to to give extravagantly as well and you can see that in verse six but the most telling aspect of this is is the giving that is found in uh, the giving that is found in verse verse nine the writer states, then the people rejoice because they had given, given willingly for a whole heart, uh, for with uh, a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David also rejoiced greatly. Now, our passage is long this morning, so we're going to break this up in, in, in parts, but let me ask for a blessing on our time first. Father God, Lord, I thank you for uh, this series uh, uh, of looking at why we trust you, how we trust you. Lord, we tr- trust you with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And, and that can be a pithy statement at, at times, Lord, but, but allow us to, uh, to really dig deep into, into these questions. Lord, we may not struggle in some areas, and in others we do. But Lord, I just pray that uh, we would all take time to reflect, uh, not just this morning, of why we trust God, but reflect on this on a regular basis, even from day to day. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I did my study this week, one of the ways that I study is to read other people's sermons. Uh, I'm not a, a, a trained speaker. Uh, I haven't done this for a long time. I know places to look on the Internet of, of, of how to study. But one of the things I do is, is look at what other people have done with the text, And 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 what a lot of people did with this with this larger narrative, especially the verses we're dealing with today, is they broke they made it into a sermon about about giving. Clearly that this is what's being being said in the scriptures that the people gave extravagantly, right? But but I don't think that that's the purpose of this text. They're taking offerings uh, to build to hold the tabernacle and, and and and. but this is a once in a lifetime event. They're not just building a temple f- for God, but David is also stepping back from from his role as king and Solomon will be named king at the end of this text. So we we, we have a we have a large uh, a, a, a a big big happening here that that has never happened before. The the temple was built was built once and then rebuilt a second time but only once was Solomon named king David through through all of this money and materials that had that had been given uh, you notice that the first thing he did was was recognize God the first thing that that David did w- when the people not just gave but gave freely and willingly they gave out it they gave out of their whole heart they gave joyfully he, he did all of this and came to God in verses uh, verses ten and eleven. He says in a prayer back to God. He says, "Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the pre- <clears throat> excuse me in the presence of the assembly." And David said, "Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty." For all that is in the heavens, and in the earth, is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. What a what, a, what an amazing statement that David, David's praying back to God. Uh, a few weeks ago, when I was here the last time, New Year's Eve, uh, it was a Bill, Bill and I were just joking. It was a it was a uh, service about this size, wasn't it, Bill? It was yeah, it was cozy. Um, we could have fit easily in the first two rows, that's for sure. But the last time I was here, I got to preach on, I got to pick my own text, and I preached on, on, on what it was to worship. Like, how does how does this start? How do, how do we worship with our hearts? I, I, I preached out of the text of, of Psalm 113, and, and this is a psalm of praise from David, where in that instance, in the same time, multiple times in, in, in that text, he, he's talking about blessing God. But, but what does that look like? What does it mean to bless God? And, and the word bless, as it applies to God, means to, means to praise. Well, that seems easy enough. But it's, it's always implying a strong affection for him, as well as a sense of gratitude. And in our text here this morning, you can clearly see that's what David's doing. That's, this is the reason for this text. It's not to, simply to say, look at all that we've given, although we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it's this sense of gratitude that David has. Get David, after giving out of his abundance and seeing the people move to do the same thing, recognizes God as the giver. David may, may be the most powerful man in the world at this time. The, Isra- the, the nation of Israel was feared above all other nations because every time they went to war, the other, the, other, the other nations got routed. Not because of anything that the Israelites were doing. They were just people. Wars are fought are won and lost all the time. But it was because God was on their side. Now David, being rich financially, nationally, in his relationship with God, is, is projecting this back towards God. He says in verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and, and in the earth is yours yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. David rightly, instead of turning towards himself, turns towards God and says, yours is the greatness. You are powerful, and that power is from you. You are majestic, and the majesty is yours. David's recognition of God is, is a great example for us today. But is this true of us? Do we do this in our, in our personal lives? This is the question we have to answer this morning. The answer should be yes. But, sadly, I think a lot of the time it's not. If, if this is true, if this is true of our lives, then, then why do we live in ways that, that this would not be true? We have people in our small groups and, and in our church that are, that are struggling in their relationships. They're they're struggling in their relationships with each other, husbands and wives, struggling in their relationships with their children. We have people that are struggling financially and just can't seem to get out of the the pit of, of, of the financial debt they're under. Let us live with confidence knowing that God has the power and, and author, if God has the power and authority to, to save me from the pit of hell then he certainly has the authority in the other areas of my life this may mean that that some tough decisions maybe may have to be made so if you're dealing with financial issues you may have to cut back on your cable bill or or your cell phone bill if you're struggling in your relationships maybe you should you, you, maybe you need a, a mentor to to, to help you with, um, with the people that you're talking to, the people that you're hanging out with. Those may be the issues that you're facing. Someone who can, who can help you, help me, um, bring the focus of what our life should look like, and that's being focused on God. David, as we should, recognizes that God is the owner of everything. As, as we begun this, uh, the, these small groups, uh, we're going through FPU, the, and, uh, and, and so Becky and I have started going through, they have a kid's version of this, uh, Financial Peace University, and so Becky and I have started going through this, and, and my kids are now getting paid for, the, for some of the work they do around our house, and, and, uh, and the, they're paid not because they're our children, but because they're doing work. Uh, that's important for Becky and I. But it would be wrong of, of, of Jake and Emma and Noah to, to turn to their kids' friends and say, oh, thank you, Mr. Nick, for, for giving me all this money. Or thank you, Mr. Badal, for, for giving me my wages this week. That, that money's not coming from them. It's coming from Becky and I. That, that, that the work that they've done, they've been provided. This, this, though, is what we do with, with our personal lives. We, we, we have our jobs, and we thank our boss for the money that we make. We, we go to the grocery store and thank the grocer for, for having stuff on the shelves. We look at our government for, for providing a relatively safe place to live, for providing uh, police and fire, water and sewer, as though, as though they're the ones providing all of this for us. God, though, God, though, is the one that is the provider. And I think we fail to, to recognize this most of the time because we're so capable of providing these things for ourselves. This is part of what common grace is for, for all of humanity, that, that everybody gets to eat at some level, right? We, we all get water at some level. And we can provide this. We can just go to the grocery store. We can do these things on our own. And we fail to recognize God in all of these things. If God provides for the birds of the air, how much more is he going to provide for us? As the scripture that Allie read this morning. We're the pinnacle of God's creation. We're the, we're the highest of all created things. Here on Earth, how much more does God love us than the birds of the air? And yet somehow they seem to be able to eat every day, or most days. And guess what? God will provide. The second thing we need to remember is is to remember God's grandeur. God's people were giving to build a temple so that that God would have a place to dwell here on Earth. Now we know that God isn't held by housed by temples, and, and but his spirit now revi- resides in us. This temple that David had designed would would be a great structure that, that would be built by Solomon, his son, as we've already talked about. This structure would, would leave people in awe from, as they journeyed to Jerusalem from miles away. They would be able to see it gleaming in the sunlight. It would leave people in awe. Have, we, have you lost this in your relationship with God? Have you lost the sense of awe in your relationship with him? The thing is, uh, the things of God don't, don't uh, leave us with our mouths wide open. And if we listen to these words in this prayer of David, this is exactly what I envisioned. David says in, 12 and, in verses 12 and 13, both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. David is speaking about God and he's in awe as he's praying these things. Just listen to the, to the words that, or look at the words that David is saying here. Do, do we feel this in our own minds and our own hearts as, as we spend our time in, in prayer, as we spend time in the Word, as we, as we develop that relationship with God? Do we have that sense of awe? David isn't just talking to somebody down the street. He's not calling his BFF for when he's in a pinch. This is, this is God of, that's created all of the universe. David has just seen an outpouring of God's Spirit and seen his people move to to give willingly and give freely and give joyously. We can see this in the life of Village Bible Church now. Just a few weeks ago, we had a, 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 a little boy go in for surgery. The surgery had only been performed one other time, and he went home from that surgery three weeks later. Those are miracles that are happening within our church today. Pastor Phil just shared with me, you guys had a a baptism just a few weeks ago and people's lives are being being moved to to radical change. Those are miracles that are happening. Those are outpourings of the Spirit that are happening within within our church, within Village Bible Church here today. When we have this, this proper response to to all that that God is and 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 these things will not just pertain to our treasures but our time and our talents as well. God's people will be moved to give of all three of those their time, talents and treasures. You write these down in your in your outline. They'll be moved to give willingly and freely. When we look at the when we look at the the people's response in the when we look at the, peop- the response of the people in the, in the first 10 verses and, and even into 20, 28 where the people were giving so, so lavishly, they were giving willingly and freely. They weren't doing this out of compulsion. David wasn't standing there before them and saying, listen, if you guys don't give, we're going to be raising taxes because this temple is getting built, whether you like it or not. There was, no, there was no compulsion that they were giving under. Second thing you see is that they were giving joyfully. If you notice, what's missing out of this passage is, uh, is the people saying to David, "Why do we have to give this? What? Why are we paying for this? Like this is going to be a massive undertaking. This is going to be a massive temple, and people are going to be in awe. I get all that, uh, but do we really have to build a temple this big?" What I hear when I when when I say that is is my kids asking me, "Why, Dad? Dad, why do I have to?" Why do I have to feed the dog this time? Dad, why do I have to do this or that this time? Why can't Emma do this? Why can't Jake do that? But if you notice, that's strangely void in our text. You don't see the people complaining at all. You see them giving joyfully. And last, we we see them giving with gratitude. Uh, Last, we see David um, recognizing that all things come from God. David gave of of his time, his talents, and his treasures uh, over the course of his life. And his response was, was to turn to God and give that praise back to him. We would do well if we would, we would strive to strive to, to have these responses towards God. Doing so would, uh, would assist in bringing back that grandeur, that, that awe-inspiredness that we should have with God. With all this money that has been given in uh, the temple that is about to be built, it would be easy for David to look at himself and sit back and say, wow, I've done good. David's an old man at this point. He's probably sitting in a rocking chair. I'm sure rocking chairs weren't invented yet, but he, he's sitting in a rocking chair at the end of his life, and, man, I've done, I've done pretty good. Like well, I've expanded our borders. My people are safe. Look at all this money that we have. We've done pretty good. But David's response tells us today, just as he did, was to revoke the pride. Revoke the pride. How does, how does he do this though? You see, David makes himself lower. He brings himself below everyone else. He doesn't sit back and say and point the finger at me at himself and say, look at this guy. David puts himself in a in a posture of submission. He says in, in verses 14 through 16, "But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all all, all our fathers were." Our days on earth are like a shadow, and n- there is no abiding. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have uh, provided for, a building, for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Take a moment and, and, and just focus on those verses for a moment, 14 through 16. This was such an exorbitant amount of money that had been given. Think about it. In in chapter 28, they're measuring gold in tons. We measured it in ounces, and it's worth whatever it is a thousand dollars or a couple thousand dollars an ounce. And they're measuring gold in tons. Tons, literally tons of gold. And there was so much more given. Such an exorbitant amount of money but this was for an exceedingly great house for God. The the world's response would be to sit back and say, look at all the money that we've gathered. Look at all of this. David, though, says, who am I? Who am I? What is my people that that we should be able to offer you anything? That we should be able to offer you to, to, to simply give an offering? would be awesome but to do that willingly and not out of compulsion you see the man that is after God's own heart his respond, he responds this way we should have the same response to, to even our own relationship with God God who are we that, that you would care so much that you would care so much for me that you would give so freely to us. God gave so much, not just for good people. That would be awesome. Like, that's who I want to give to. I want to give to good people. But God gave to a bunch of sinners and gave Jesus to to die in our place to, pe- to pay that p- penalty for us. He came, he gave, the unrighteous that we w- may be made righteous in his sight we as Christians should respond in the same way as David Paul maybe the greatest evangelist after Jesus obviously compared himself to a slave he made himself low when he could have when he could have said look at me I've been to the best colleges I've had the best training he brings himself low before the people, before God, before Christ. One who has given up all, a slave is one who has given up all of his rights. And we can see this pattern all throughout Scripture. David, though, did not just revoke this pride that was, I'm sure, that, that was welling up within him. He's a man just like we are. But doubled down on that, saying in verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. David knows, if anybody knows, David knows that God tests the heart of man. Being, being humble is great, but, but is that a false humility? I've come across that a lot in my life of, of people that that want to, don't want the attention, but they really do. David is echoing what he said in Psalm 139 God, you have searched me and you know me. We know God is being a good father, wants the best for his children. David is saying, God, you already know what is going on in our hearts. Lord, please allow us to to shed this pride in the things that that you have given us. And let us humbly bless you with our time, our talents, and our treasures. God wants the best for us. Sometimes that means going through some crucibles in our life. For me, that did. I was extremely prideful. In some ways, I still am. God keeps bringing me through these crucibles in my life to, to shed this pride that is within me. Who here can remember their first love? Anyone? Anyone? Can? Show of hands. Everybody, everyone? Anyone? A couple? Three? Four? Only four people can remember their first love. This is, this is going to be an awesome illustration. But that is like half of our people here. So, so, uh, so my first love, I can, one of my first memories, probably back when I was four, maybe three, four, five years old probably, was, was baseball. I love baseball. There's there's a special heart, special place in my heart for baseball. And and, and thinking about this this week, uh, baseball season's coming up, and at about this time of year, uh, I start getting this baseball itch. This is when baseball practice starts. Uh, when I was in co- high school and college, this is when we start baseball. and You're indoors, and you're playing catch, and you're hitting off tees, and, and all that's great. Uh, but I can remember back to... to to first grade, Mrs. Fox. Mrs. Fox. She was, she was so pretty, uh, great teacher. I love. I, I still love Mrs. Fox, and she. She. Had, we. We. We went through the exercise of. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I naturally put a professional baseball player. And I'm sure her response was something like, "Oh, that's cute," <laughs> right? And then, and then I get to, I get to third grade and. I have Mrs. Fox again. She got moved to third grade. It was, third grade was glorious. But we went through the same, we went through the same exercise. What, what do you want to be when you grow up? And me and my chicken scratch, I'm sure, wrote something about being a professional baseball player. And her response was, well, you know, you, know, you probably need to have a backup plan for that. Not, not everybody can do this. Great advice. Great advice. But, but me having older brother, uh, older brother and sister, uh, I, had a, I had a personality about me that, that we like to joke a certain way in our house. And, and it was far older sense of humor than, than a third grader should have. And so my response back to her, being a smart-aleck uh, eight-year-old was, well, Mrs. Fox, did you, have a, did you have a backup plan when you decided to be a teacher? That, I'm sure, didn't go over well. <laughs> But as I got older, as I continued in my baseball career, as I went to college, base, went on to play college baseball, uh, being uh, one of the mo- more prolific strikeout pitchers in, junior- in all of junior college baseball, if I were to tell you that I had pride, that would have been a good thing. If I would tell you that I had swagger, that would be good. What I had was downright filthy arrogance about me. When I stepped on a baseball field, there was nobody better than me. And I knew this. It didn't matter if it was true or not, but when I stepped on the field, there was nobody that was better than me. I didn't need to count on my defense because I could strike everybody out. Do we not look the same way when we look at the work that we've done? We sit back and say, boy, look at what I've done. This is pretty... Man, I cut that tree down. That's pretty... I did a pretty good job at that. Look at all these weeds I pulled. Look at look at my lawn as though nobody else could mow their lawn the same way that you just did. We look we sit back and boy, I did a pretty good job at mowing that mowing that grass today. We look at the we look at our check stub and look at the number that we grossed over the last two weeks. David, though, says, wait a minute, who am I? Who am I that that you would even let me offer you something willingly. Who am I? When we are humble, true humility, it shows that we trust something greater than ourselves. That we're not trusting ourselves to, to accomplish this or that task. But why do we trust something greater than ourselves? Because God is faithful to us. As we talked about in week one. God is so faithful to to, to us. We reminisce about that faithfulness is what David is doing here. David was not just thanking God about providing so much money and materials because this would have been extremely short-sighted of David. But, but he, he, he took a look back into the history of this nation of Israel and how God had been faithful throughout their history as a family, as a people, And as a nation, look again at our passage at verse 18. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes and thoughts in their hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. What David does is he starts looking back at how God has been faithful to them. He starts with Abraham. Abraham being called out of Assyria into a land that he didn't know. God promised him to make him into a great people. He promised him this land of Canaan. He promised Isaac children. He promised Jacob that he would continue with this family. And, and, and now you can see that that promise lived out through Joseph. And and when he was taken into in, into slavery in, in in Egypt, you can see that promise lived out as as they as this uh, as this family as this people group started to uh, live in bondage in in Egypt for so many years. You see this this promise lived out as the people wandered in the in the desert for forty years. You see that promise being fulfilled as as that that nation that, that was once just a husband and wife being lived out in, in the land of Canaan, being given to the Israelite people. And they didn't just go in and dwell in it, but they conquered it. They conquered this land. This was not some pithy thing that, that David was doing, but, but while reminiscing about the past and God's faithfulness to this nation, and as individuals, God had been faithful to David, making him a king, while simply a shepherd boy. Even when D- David had turned his back on God and in his sin of adultery and murder, God did not waver from His pro- promise, but gave. Turn, turn quickly to to Second Samuel, um, chapter seven. This is the promise that's being lived out here, in these. In our passages this morning, we'll start in verse ten and uh, ten through sixteen. God's God's talking to Samuel here, or uh, Nathan, and and uh, and he says this: "And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be own place and be disturbed no more." And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. And uh, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people, and I will give and I will give rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that to you, uh, to you, that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up from, from your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and will establish the throne of his, of his kingdom forever. I will, be, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he comes, uh, When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. But my my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see this being played out right in this passage. David is about to die. Solomon's being raised as a king. Solomon is going to commit iniquity. He had like 500 wives. But God didn't withdraw his hand, his promise from him. His his throne was established forever when Jesus came. Jesus being a, a descendant of David. That throne had been established forever. God, God has been so faithful to Becky and I over the years. He's been, a, he's been faithful in the work that he's provided. He's been, uh, he's been faithful to us when we had such a desire for kids and children and we couldn't have any. God provided. God provided uh, a medical staff around me when it hurt my back. And, I, and I'm telling you, it would, it would drive me to tears to stand up here at the time. God's been so faithful to, to Becky and I. Why, though? That's the question that we're answering this morning. Why do I trust God? Uh, a preacher that I like listening to, Alistair Begg, uh, he, he, he uses secular music a lot to illustrate what, he, what, what he's preaching on. And, and, and there's, a, there's a song that George Strait wrote in 2001, and I think this illustrates our text very well this morning. It's called The Father's Love. And I'll just read the first verse to you. He said, "I got home. I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. Fighting was against the rules, and it didn't matter why. When Dad got home, I told that story just like I rehearsed, then stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst. That's that's me, by the way. Like I I, I was always standing on those trembling knees and waiting for the worst that was about to come. Many times it did. Um, and he said." Let me tell you a secret about a father's love—a secret that my daddy said was just between us. He said, "Daddies don't just love their children every now and then, but it's a love without end." Amen. How true is that of God in the way that He loves us? It doesn't end. There's nothing that 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 can change this. My kids are the most precious thing in my life, and and and. I failed them so much as, a, as an earthly father, and Becky does as a mother. God, though, is so faithful to us all the time, and, and we, need to, we need to take a moment and see this each day. Take time when you're spending time with God and, and think about that. We will then see that, that everything that we have comes from God our cars, our finances, our talents that we have. This will also drive us to a posture of submission to him, a spirit of humility. So why do I trust God? Because he's perfect in everything that he does. God has, God has shown that to me over and over again. And I need to take a minute and, and remember that each day. That's why I trust God. There's nothing that I could do to counteract this. God's promise to David has come to fruition that the Messiah would come from him and establish his kingdom here on earth. God has always kept his promises, and and we should reminisce about these. That's why I trust God. Now you have to answer the same question for your life Why do you trust God? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you so much for this question, making me ponder who you are, what you do, what you've done. Lord, I pray that we would take just a few moments this week, each day, and really think about why do I trust you? What are the tangible things in my life that that I can look back to and say, God, this is why I trust you. This is what you've done in in my life to prove to me over and over and over and over again of why I trust you. God, you provide so lavishly to us. You provide with our jobs. You provide with our families. Lord, you provide with this church, a place to come and worship you uh, each week a place to come and sit under your teaching and as we delve into the scriptures each week. Lord, you provide a people around us that that uh, that love on us. Lord, I pray that we would not forget these truths to us this morning. That we would not forget these truths this week as we go through our week. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.